0: Good morning. It's good to be here with you all. Thank you for your patience with me. told Scott, um, I was going to be here last week, and then um, found my wife reminded me you're actually going to be in Pensacola last Sunday. So uh, he very graciously uh, allowed me to come this week and my wife and family to come this week instead. So thank you for that. Um, also, thank you for uh, your church family, Um, for taking care of Scott and Mariah and their family uh, so well. We've heard so many good uh, things about you and your church family, and also now uh, my mother-in-law. We're thankful that you have brought her in with you, and we're looking forward to her serving here and uh, just the church family. We've heard so many good things from her uh, about you as well. So thank you for that. And then thank you also for your prayers for me uh, last year. If you don't know, last year I was in hospital for 52 days um, in My uh, the hospital. My wife always reminds me in South Africa, we say in hospital. Um, And with COVID I was medevaced up to Kenya at one point. Uh, My doctor literally has said multiple times that I'm a walking miracle. Um, He's not a believer. He's a Hindu. So we've been able to give him uh, the gospel a little bit as we talk about so many people that were praying for us uh, all over the world. And um, humanly speaking i shouldn't have survived and yet the lord allowed me to when i came out of hospital uh, last august they checked out my lungs um, did some lung function tests and they were less than 50 percent working and i had covid in 88 percent of my lungs and the doctor said well that could be all that you ever get back well uh fast forward about six or eight months I went back and did some tests and he said you're actually over a hundred percent lung function I don't know how that's possible but it is what it is I believe him um, he said I want this on record he said um, Joel you have the lungs of an athlete so not an Olympic athlete but an athlete and I, I take that as high praise because I, I don't run I don't do many athletic things um, but that's just the grace of God um, to allow it to come back and to be able to be here today to sing um, to preach and to be with you and talk with you all Um, so thank you very much for your prayers please um, pray I know you have been for my brother Joshua He's in hospital in the James in Columbus, Ohio, has a brain tumor and really is not doing well um, at all. So we're, you know, trusting the Lord. Uh, Through all of this, we've had quite the last two years as far as um, death and sickness and things in our family. And uh, we have really come to understand and to believe very honestly that whatever God does is good, whatever he does is right, And whatever he does is what's best for us, Um, even though we often really don't understand. Right now, in the middle of this trial with Josh, we don't understand. He's 45 years old, um, three young boys, and um, so we're you know asking Lord, what's going on? But we're trusting that He knows what's best and is doing what is best for us. So please continue to pray. Many of you know that uh, we have been in South Africa for the last 10 years, um, 10 and a half years or so. Uh, My wife and I. We, she came from Texas. Uh, I came from New Hampshire. We met in Florida, got married, uh, had four biological children. Um, when Allison, our oldest, was about 12 years old, I think, we moved to, um, moved to South Africa. And with our four biological kids, were you 12? 15. Okay, yeah. That's the dad brain. Um, <laughs> COVID brain. I'll blame it on that. Uh, and so we moved there and started an orphan ministry with the church. Uh, actually, our pastor in South Africa comes from Katy, Texas. Um, my father-in-law, Ronald McDonald, was his pastor, and now uh, Tim Cantrell, our pastor, has been there for over 20 years. So our pastor there. They had a desire to help um, with the orphan crisis in South Africa. We're a country now of about 60 million people, and they say as many as five million orphans. So you're talking eight percent of our population. Is orphaned in some way. And so our church there wanted to help uh, with that crisis, and so um, they invited us to come over. And so we've started Ontatile Children's Ministries. Is that up there? Okay. Uh, Ontatile Children's Ministries, that's an African word that means he loved me. And that's what we want our children to know is that God loves them and he wants them to come to him. And our goal is to save children physically um, with the intent that we can share the gospel with. With them so that they will come to know Christ uh, as their Lord and Savior and so that's our whole goal as we take in uh, children this was me um, last year in Kenya, that's my son. You can't tell there, uh, Grant or Grant, as we say in South Africa. Uh, he was visiting me. I had been medevaced up to um, up to Kenya, and then my wife and I, some months later, after I had done uh, quite a recovery there uh, in Jeffreys Bay. Uh, these are some of the children that are in our care right now. We have plus minus 10 children in our care. It's a little complicated, but uh, so we recently took in three siblings, uh, twin uh, boy and girl, that are I believe they're just turned eight years old and then their sister who just turned 10 years old and it was really quite a story how the Lord uh, brought them to us um, we have building projects going on maybe you've seen on Facebook we're on Facebook by the way friend us on there you can see what's going on but uh, these are the governors and they are a family that will be moving on to our property as soon as we get final permission which should be coming Lord willing within the next couple months and they will be a foster family Uh, that moves onto our property and they're ready to take in foster children right now they have one foster child with them and uh, we believe there's going to be two more that will be moving uh, in with them we just renovated a house in florida South Africa. That has caused some confusion. So right in our area, there's a Clearwater and there's a Florida. So not Florida, America, but Florida, South Africa. Uh, It's amazing how the Lord works. He brought uh, a church family to us. A pastor came and said, we have a a parsonage that basically is falling down. And uh, if you guys would like to do something with it, you're welcome to. And so we said, yeah, we would love to turn that into a foster home. So now it's about 20 minutes away from us. We went in and uh, ripped out everything right down to the bricks. We don't have uh, wood buildings there, so bricks Plumbing, electrical, all that, and redid the whole inside. And now this is Nati Nyati. Uh, his name, his first name is Nati, and his last name is Nyati. And his wife Lundiwe, uh, and their daughter Angela, who is their foster uh, daughter, and then they just had their first biological daughter about uh, or son uh, about two weeks ago. And so they have moved in and are a foster family on that church property. There have joined that church and are helping not. Uh, actually goes to seminary at our church, Antioch Bible Church in Johannesburg. And uh, so we're excited about walking that road with them. Uh, This is the Labalo family. Uh, He is a pastor in Soweto. Maybe you've heard of Soweto, South Africa. At one point, it was the largest township in the world. It's over 2 million people living there in this uh, township, uh, informal settlement. And uh, Pastor Sammy and his wife moved there. Uh, They have adopted one of those children, was adopted from our ministry and now uh, they're fostering we were able to add on uh, two bedrooms and a bathroom uh, to their house that they have in order for them to be able to foster more children and so we're really excited about them and what the lord's doing there we also have a ministry called open home ministries this is the pool this is a little boy that we help them adopt uh, as well And they said, you know, Christians in South Africa need to know about the orphan crisis and they need to know what they can do about it. And so their ministry works with ours to go into churches to make people aware of the need and how they can foster or adopt. And that's been a wonderful ministry with them. I think we're up over 60 um, children that we've helped uh, most of them within South Africa to adopt or get into permanent foster placement. And then these are some of our staff and interns. Um, We love to have interns come over, so come on. Um, We would love to have any of you come and uh, help out. Uh, Right now, most of our children are between seven and ten years old, and so a lot of what we do is schooling them and taking care of them uh, throughout the rest of the day, and uh, so we're excited about that. I think we have two interns there right now, and a third uh, is on our way, and they're very helpful in our ministry. And then these are older children. Uh, This is Allison and Justin and Jordan. Um, He's our first grandchild, uh, about five months old now. And then uh, Peyton uh, is the pilot. He's in the Air Force. Uh, So his wife is South African, as is Justin, Uh, our son-in-law. We love that. They're both living over here in the States. And then our son Grant uh, is finishing up at Texas A&M. We just dropped our daughter off Uh, at college down in Florida. And then uh, my dad was able to visit us for three uh, weeks uh, or three months, I'm sorry, earlier this year. And uh, when I was growing up, he always had lists when we had like a holiday or vacation from school or something. So when he came over, I had a list of 27 jobs that he um, was expected to do in those three months. And he hasn't finished them, so he's got to come back uh, hopefully to finish. So uh, turnabout is fair play, as they say. We loved having him there, and my nephew was able to visit with him as well. And then these are the children that are primarily uh, in our care right now. We were able to take a, a vacation with them down to the ocean in South Africa on the Indian Ocean side, and that was really neat to be able to get away uh, as a family. Okay, there we go. That's the bird's eye, real quick uh, view of what we do in South Africa. If you have questions, uh, by the way, I don't know if I said my name, but you did. My name's Joel, my wife, Rachel. Uh, my kids and uh, yeah come visit us in South Africa sometime we'd love to have you well you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through chapter 4 verse 7. We'll read uh, different parts of that. And this morning we're going to talk about adoption. It's one of my favorite things uh, to talk about, but God's view of adoption. What does the Bible have to say about adoption? So I title this message, Adoption Placed into the Family of God, or welcome to the family. As Scott said this morning, um, all of us who are believers here are now brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what you look like, if you're tall or short or a different color or uh, older or younger or whatever it is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then we are brothers and sisters and we're going to have to learn to get along and live with each other for all of eternity. So we might as well work hard on that now because God wants us as his children uh, to please him in all that we do. So, Galatians chapter 3, uh, one writer has said this adoption is a glorious doctrine largely because it demonstrates how deeply the Father loves us. Another writer said this about uh, the theological uh, doctrine of adoption. Our first point about adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers think about that for just a second. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. You think, well, maybe so. Let's think through that a little bit. Well, as we go along and talk about adoption, I think you'll see uh, that that is quite true. And then J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, had this to say, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all, because Father is the Christian name for God. And so let's talk about, I'm very excited this morning to talk about what God says about adoption. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can be here and that we can sing uh, praises to you and sing about the things that you have done for us thank you that we can take uh, communion together and uh, remember the price that you paid on the cross of calvary and and physically what was done to your body and spiritually what was done lord and uh, the price that you paid uh, for the penalty of our sin so that we do not have to pay that lord because we cannot pay it And Lord, you didn't stop there. We're going to talk this morning about how you have adopted us into your family and what that means. And so help us this morning as we unpack that. And may we go out of here encouraged and energized and wanting to please you as our Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll start in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says this, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's now no longer Jew or Greek. There's not bond or free. There's not male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now remember, Paul is writing this book to the church in Galatia. Uh, if you know where that is, that's in modern day Turkey. That's not a high Jewish concentration of people there. In fact, not a high Christian concentration. We thought, my wife and I, that we might end up in Turkey. We took a, a trip there years ago, and it was less than 1% of the population claims to be any type of Christian. It's a very Muslim country. In, fe- in that time, it wouldn't have been quite as much, but it certainly wouldn't have been a high Jewish concentration. And he's saying here, if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham seed. Not just that you're in Christ, but that you're one of his children, as if born uh, to him. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So this was amazing that Paul would make this statement. In fact, it would have been very offensive uh, to many of the Jews and amazing to those other Christians that were hearing it. Jump down to verse four of chapter four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, To redeem them that were under the law. Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. That's why he did what he did. And because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you're no more a servant, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. That is an amazing passage of Scripture, what God does uh, to us and for us when we accept him as our Savior. When Leslie Lynch King Jr. died on December 26, 2006, it was a major news story all across the world. News anchors and columnists discussed his legacy, and U.S. flags were flown at half-mass, as always happens when a president dies. But you've never heard of President King, have you? In fact, there's no record of a person named Leslie uh, Lynch King Jr. ever serving as president, but he did. In fact, he was the president during a time of great crisis in our country, crucial time of history in the U.S. I was four years old at the time. You see, when he was young... Uh, Leslie's mother left his father, citing alcohol and physical abuse. They went to live with Leslie's grandparents, and during this time, Leslie's mother remarried, and she married a man named Gerald Ford. Sometime later, Gerald Ford adopted Leslie, and he gave him his own name. This is how Leslie became Gerald Ford, who later became the 38th president of the United States. He's the only president to become both vice president and president without being voted into either office. You can look that up uh, later, why that happened. You see, when Leslie was adopted, he took on a new name. His old life was gone. His old name was gone. His life was changed forever. He was no longer known by that old name. The Bible discusses adoption in a number of places. Maybe you can think of some people who are adopted in the Bible. You might think of Moses. That would be a famous one or Esther, whose uncle really took care of her, Caesar Augustus, we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, he was also adopted. In the Old Testament, the formal concept of adoption is not really discussed. It's rather implied. It's really when we get to the New Testament that Paul is talking about our relationship with God, that the idea of adoption starts to take root And in many ways, it comes as a big surprise to those who he was writing to. They were not expecting to hear this. Imagine the perspective of a Jewish person saying that they're adopted into the family of God. Their lineage was very important to them, right? Uh, Remember when John said to the religious leaders, You brood of vipers, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones, Right? So he was saying it doesn't really matter what your lineage is if you're not born uh, into the family. If you don't believe Jesus Christ, then you have no hope of being a child of God. Or imagine the perspective of a believing Gentile uh, who never would have thought that he would have the rights and privileges that a believing Jewish person would have. They would have thought, really, you know, I'm going to be a second-class citizen in some ways because these are the chosen people. These are God's special uh, people. And yet God says, I'm adopting you into the family as well. Paul introduces this idea that we're adopted into God's family, and he leans primarily on the Roman concept of adoption. Do you remember the novel uh, Ben-Hur, or maybe you've seen the movie, hopefully not the new one, it's not nearly as good as the old one with Charlton Heston, and, uh, but read the book, the book's always better than the movie, right? Um, it was written by Lou Wallace, and remember Char- uh, Ben-Hur was a Jewish man, and his best friend betrayed him and turned him into the, the authorities, and Ben-Hur ended up as a galley slave, Uh, He was in one of those uh, warship boats, and he's in the bottom of the boat, and uh, he's rowing. This was considered a death sentence. They expected people that were doing that to live maybe a few weeks or a few months, and he survived for a number of years. And then finally they were in a battle, and his ship either got rammed or rammed another ship and started sinking, and he was able to get out. And he saw a man over in the water that was drowning, and he went over, and he saved his life. Well, this happened to be very fortuitous for Ben-Hur, because this was the Roman warship commander, Tribune Arius. And as a reward to Ben-Hur for saving his life, Tribune Arius adopted him into his family. And this helps us understand what was going on in that time, because right immediately, Ben-Hur became a free man. He became a Roman citizen. He had a new citizenship, and he became a full son and heir to Tribune Arius. He had the same standing as any biological son. In fact, he had a whole new identity with all the privileges that came along with that. In much the same way, that was a fictional story, but Caesar Augustus is a real person. Luke 2 talks about Caesar Augustus, who declared that all the world should be taxed. Well, Caesar Augustus was actually adopted. He was the first Roman emperor. Uh, He was adopted by Julius Caesar. And what would happen, in fact, we have come to find at least seven of the Roman emperors were adopted. And what would happen is the Roman emperor or the leader at that time, Julius Caesar, in this particular case, um, either didn't have children or didn't like his children and didn't want them to become the emperor. And so they adopted somebody into their family and they became their son and had all the rights and privileges. And that is how they became the emperor. And this is important for us to understand because... Because as we study the Bible, we need to know what was going on in that context. The Bible wasn't written to us in our time. It was written to these folks in their time. And we take that and we learn and understand. And so we need to understand what they thought about when they heard this concept of Paul saying, you are now adopted into the family of God. They would have understood at least these three things. Number one, they were free men. They're free from their sin. We were talking about that this morning. We're no longer slaves to sin spiritually. You have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is not here. Uh, Ultimately, it is in heaven. That is where we place our citizenship when we are uh, believers. And also, we're a full heir. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with God himself. That is an amazing, mind-blowing fact, which we'll, I don't know if we'll have time this morning, but at some point we'll unpack that a little bit more. So let's try to answer a couple questions. I have three questions here. We'll probably get through the first one. I try to do this so they'll have me back at some point, you know, leave the cliffhanger or whatever. We're going to talk about how are we adopted. Number two, what are the privileges of adoption? And number three, what are the responsibilities of the adoptee? So let's talk about how are we adopted by God? What does this mean? What does this actually look like? Well, adoption is a legal act. There's a person who is not a member of your family. You go through a legal process. Now this person becomes a legal member of your family. In fact, right here I have a copy of the court paperwork that was given to us. We have been privileged to adopt two of our children. We're still trying to finalize it on the American side, but it's done on the South African side. It's taken us nine years, many attorneys, many magistrates, all of that. But here it says... Uh, the adoption of Zachariah Matonzi, that was his surname then. Um, Zachariah, by the way, was left in a field in a, essentially a Walmart bag at a day old. He was a month premature. They didn't think he was going to live. Uh, when we first got him at seven weeks old, we didn't think he was going to live. I remember uh, you know, listening to him as he's in his pack and play right next to our bed. And his breathing was so shallow, his lungs were underdeveloped. And my wife and I were saying, should we bring him back to the hospital? But they just released him to us. He's barely breathing. It's so shallow. And uh, we just kept taking care of him years and years and years. And now he's nine years older, um, climbing trees, jumping down onto the trampoline, doing flips. And uh, we're thankful for that. But it's taken us this long to be able to adopt him. His name now is Zachariah Kirby. We finally got the paperwork that the government recognizes his name as Zachariah James Kirby. And this says, according to the provisions of section 242 of the Children's Act, your adopted child is now for all purposes regarded as your child, as if born to you. And you are now for all purposes regarded as the parent of this adopted child. And that's what God does for us, too, right? When we are adopted into his family. What an incredible privilege. So also our adoption by God is a legal act, a furthering of the acts of redemption and justification. Now we talk about redemption, that's a buying back. Um, God in the person of Christ paid the price to ransom us from the slavery of sin. We saw that in Galatians 4, verse 5. He bought us back. But he didn't just stop there. He went on to justify us. God makes this great exchange, we would say. My sin, my guilt, my punishment in exchange for his righteousness. And that is absolutely amazing. See, justification is not just a declaration that we're innocent or forgiven, it's not, God could have just said, okay, you're forgiven. You're innocent, but that would not have fulfilled his righteousness. That would not have been true justice. Um, But we are just and righteous in the sight of God. It's his divine declaration that we actually are perfectly righteous. This is a result of imputed or righteousness that is put on us as credited by Jesus Christ in our faith in him. So by faith in the cross, there's this great exchange that we talked about. My sin, my guilt, my punishment are placed on Jesus Christ. And Jesus is treated as if he lived my life, as if he committed my sin and your sin. He was crushed under the wrath of God and his perfect earthly life of righteousness was credited to me. That's why we needed a perfect sacrifice. I'm made perfectly acceptable before our heavenly father. So it's amazing that God buys us back, that he redeems us. It's even more amazing that he justifies us, that he makes us and looks upon us as we're righteous uh, according to what his son has done. And God could have stopped there and that would have been incredible in and of itself. Those things there. But God didn't. He went further by adopting us or making us a part of his family. Imagine if you are sitting in a courtroom and you are watching a court case and we're at the end and you've heard all the things that have happened that this person has done. And they're the most wicked, vile things that you can imagine that this person has done. And you know that this sentence is going to be death because that is the only right thing to be done. That's what the law requires. But then imagine that the judge looks down on this condemned person and he tells him that the magistrate or the judge's own son has paid the penalty for that condemned man's crimes. And that if he will accept this, that he will be looked on as righteous and clean he'll be declared guilt free but then imagine if you will that magistrate looking at that man and he's accepted that and he says to him now come here I want you to be my son you're coming home with me today because you're going to be part of my family and we're going to take care of you you're going to be my child and that's what God did that's why we say that adoption is the greatest privilege that we have because in our the, the most that most of us would do is say we forgive you but God says I forgive you and I want you to become part of my family a writer says it this way my friend adoption is redemption it's costly it's exhausting it's expensive It's outrageous. Buying back lives costs so much that when God set out to redeem us, it killed him. And that's what it took for God to bring us into his family. Look at Galatians 3.26. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not God's spiritual children from physical birth. That's a popular thing to believe today, that we are all God's children just by fact of existing. Well, that's not true. We are made in God's image, but we're not his child. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then you are not his child, and you are destined for an eternity in hell. This is a serious thing but if you have accepted him then you are God's child by faith in Christ Jesus chapter 4 verse 4 and 5 say but when the fullness of time was come God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons I love that picture uh, when the fullness of time had come can you imagine what was going on in heaven at that time God the Father there with His Son and saying, Son, it's time. It's time for you to go down. It's time for you to be placed into the womb of a human woman, to spend nine months there, to be born, to live a life free of sin, This is amazing that God would say this, that this is what it took to save us, to buy us back and to make us his children. Jesus, the word, he became flesh. He lived perfectly under the law to redeem us. And by faith in him, we become the children of God. We are adopted into God's family. God in his infinitely gracious master plan has made a way for us, not just to be made righteous, but also to become an intimate part of his family. I hope that you appreciate what God has done. Our condemning judge is now our loving Abba Father. Imagine that. He was going to condemn us and now he is our loving Father. One person put it this way, what a turnabout. We are on our way to hell. We were without God, without hope in the world, lost, spiritually dead, totally unable to save ourselves, filthy with sin, guilty through and through, condemned to eternal death. The righteous judge has pronounced the sentence against us according to his perfect law, and all that waited for us was to be cast into hell. And that's a right view, what Scott was talking about this morning, about how we should view ourselves before God. But then we have those two words, but God. God's only begotten Son comes and in one great transaction He not only causes the judge who condemns us to declare us guilty this is Jesus saying to His Father I want you to declare them not guilty but further than that He causes the judge who has condemned us to adopt us as His own children. What indescribable grace, what infinite mercy the writer says. The Apostle John is also amazed at this thought when he says in the book of John Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us what that we should be called the sons of God. It's amazing. It's simply amazing what God has done in us and for us and what hopefully he will do through us. Well, that's point number one. And I think they said you finished it around 1120. So I'm going to get a little bit more in here um, and then we'll come back to it another time. But what are the privileges of adoption? We have found, we've adopted two children. We hope to adopt uh, four others at least. Um, We've helped with many adoptions. I think we're over 60 adoptions or something now that we've been able to help with. Um, We have found that the greatest part of that adoption is the relationships that come as a result of that adoption. Now those children who have no mother or father or no mother and father that will care for them now have a mother and father that will care for them. They have brothers and sisters. They have church family relationships, which is very important to us Uh, in our ministry. We wanted to make sure we were in a good, healthy local church because we believe that is a very important part of our children's adoption. And so those relationships that we get when we become uh, part of God's family are also so important. Adoption, I want to keep saying this, is a legal declaration by the divine judge that the justified one has been made a member of the divine judge's family and so we come into a relationship with god the father christ our brother the holy spirit our comforter and all of our christian brothers and sisters privilege number one is that god is our father god is our loving father if you're a believer Let me tell you something, uh, some of the things that an adoptive father does for his children. Number one, he's a compassionate father, God the Father. Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14 say this, Just like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. You love your children, right? You have pity on them. We have to discipline. We'll talk about that. That's actually one of the privileges that we have as God's children that nonbelievers do not have. Uh, but you love your children. You want to do good things for your children. And God says that he does that as well. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, that famous uh, place where Christ talks about, well, if your child asks for bread, would you give him a stone? No, that's ridiculous. What about if he asked for fish? Would you give him a serpent? No. One of my uh, children, uh, Zechariah, um, years ago it was probably too early he watched the Swiss family Robinson, and there's that scene in there where that big uh, snake, Python or whatever, comes out of the water and wraps them up and they're, you know it's taking them under the water, and he is petrified of snakes as a result of that. And so for me, if he said, "Hey, Dad, can I have some fish and I give him a serpent?" that wouldn't be very good as a father, would it? We would not do that. Christ is saying that's ridiculous to even think about. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, If you then, who are evil, we are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? It's amazing. God would never do something that is wrong for us. That's why we say whatever God does is good, it's right, it is the best thing. And then I love the picture in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. I love the story. This son goes away, and he lives a life of pleasure until he loses all his money, and then he loses all his friends, and then we pick the story up. Where is he? He's in a pigsty, uh, which for a Jewish person is about the worst place that you could be. And he's there, and he's looking at the pig food, and he's going, hmm, that looks kind of good. I might need to eat some of that. And then this thought pops into his mind and he says, you know, my father's servants are treated better than this. What if I just go back and beg my father to take me back just as a servant? I'll be taken care of as his servant. And so he goes back. And the picture that God gives us here is absolutely astounding. Of this father sitting there, he's, he's back in his house, Right? Not paying attention and seeing if his son's ever coming. No, that's not the picture. It's a picture of a father waiting and looking for his son. And then he sees off in the distance one day his son coming toward him. And the father sits down, right, and waits for his son to come to him. No, that's not the picture that God wants us to have of him. The father sees his son. And he picks up his robes and he runs to his son and he falls on his son and he kisses him and he brings him in and he says, come, let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf. And that's the picture that God wants us to have when he reminds us of of who he is as a compassionate father. He loves us. We never deserved it in the first place. His love is never going to change. He is our adoptive father who, if we will turn to him, he will bring us in and embrace us and love him. He's a compassionate father. And finally, he's a providing father. Let me end with this. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. A songwriter says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers, the rocks, the rills, the hollers, it doesn't say that in the hymn, but he owns all of those things, the sun and stars that shine wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they're mine as well. Matthew six twenty six, Jesus says this Look at the fowls of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather things into the barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you much better than they? And why do you take thought for your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. They're not sitting there making clothes for themselves to be beautiful. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in his best day, clothed in the finest robes, who had silver and gold beyond our imagination, was not arrayed as beautifully as one of these flowers, Jesus said. So... If God clothes the grass of the field, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the oven and burned up. Won't he clothe you, O you of little faith? Our father is a compassionate father, he's a providing father, we don't need to worry about how he is going to provide for us, even though many times it's hard. When you're in those situations and you don't know where the next thing that we need to survive is going to come from. And so I hope you understand a little bit better today why we would say that adoption is the greatest privilege that we have as Christians. That we would become, that God would make us part of his family. And I hope it makes us live our lives a little bit differently as we go out and think that is our father. He cares for us. This is what he's done for us. Let us go and live for him.